0: In Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, uh, we read the following words, starting in verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed—and he uses this word makarios here. And as we've described it, it means this incredible, profound life of flourishing And then the verse, the, the beatitude, verse eight, that I want us to really zero in on today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Have you ever done a study on the heart in the Bible? If you have, you know it says a lot, right? In fact, there are over 500 references to the heart in Scripture, and most of them, frankly, are not very complimentary. I wanted you to see one example of this from the book of Ecclesiastes, where it says, the hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts. Now, that doesn't jive with the popular thinking today, does it? popular mindset, popular worldview, is that, look, everybody's kind of basic. Oh, there's a few bad eggs out there, but they make us all look bad. But, but people are basically good in their hearts. I, I think you'll see Scripture challenging that presupposition. It says, the hearts of men and women are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward, they join the dead yikes. I mean, that is a brutal description of the spiritual and moral condition of the human heart. Now, when Scripture speaks of the heart, it's not talking about this pump in our chest that circulates blood. I think you know that intuitively, probably. When a husband looks at his wife and says, honey, I love you with all my heart. He's not saying, I love you with this tissue in my chest that pumps blood. What does he mean? I love you with my whole being. I love you body, soul, and spirit with everything that I am. So think of the heart as the seat of your personality. Think of it as the real you in all of your being. By the way, that's why... Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, everything else flows out of this center, out of the heart, out of who you really are. And so today, let's tackle this question. What does Jesus really mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I think we're gonna be on quite a journey here, but I think we need to look at our first starting point, and that is the dilemma of a divided heart. We've gotta start right there. Jesus spoke about this later in the Sermon on the Mount when he said in chapter seven, verse 15, watch out for false prophets. He said they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, inwardly, the real heart, the real seat of who they are, their real being and personality, they are ferocious wolves. What he's saying is that you're going to have some people around you on your journey, and you need to understand that, that they're grappling with a divided heart. They may look like sheep, smell like sheep. They may say hallelujah and praise the Lord like other sheep do, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Did any of you ever grow up hearing the story of Little Red Riding Hood? I think it was probably the the children's fairy tale that was read to me, perhaps more than any other story. No, I don't know why we tell these stories to our children. I mean, some of them are really kind of bizarre to be reading to children of all people, but we do. And I heard this story over and over and over again. Let me just relate it to you as as best I remember it. I, I certainly can't get all the details. Little Red Riding Hood went to visit grandma, and she didn't realize that the big bad wolf had gobbled grandma up. And so this big wolf is sitting up in grandma's bed dressed in grandma's clothes, and cat. Little Red is a little suspicious. little suspicious, but it sure is grandma's clothes. And so she says, my grandma, what big ears you've got. All the better to hear you with, says the wolf. My grandma, what big, you know, eyes you have. All the better to see you with, my dear. And she goes on and on, different aspects of the wolf. And Finally, my grandma, what big teeth you have. All the better to eat you with. And the wolf leapt out of the bed to gobble Little Red Riding Hood up. Well, wouldn't you know it, as Little Red Riding Hood is is running away, along comes the hunter. He's just passing by at just the right time. He shot the wolf. They opened the wolf up. And wouldn't you know it, there was grandma inside, all unharmed and they all lived happily ever after. Now that's a, that's a story about a wolf in grandma's clothes, but Jesus talked about wolves in sheep's clothing. I wonder if I might be talking to a person today, and if we're just being brutally honest, you kinda look like a Christian, You kind of smell like a Christian, kind of like a Christian. You've learned some Christianese. In fact, you know what? You can sound pretty doggone impressive. But at work this week, at the golf course, even in your home later today, you're not going to be the same person you appear to be today. What's wrong? You're... You're battling a divided heart. But don't we all face this dilemma? I mean, if we're really getting brutal about this, hey, can I make a confession this morning? Rex Keener's biggest dilemma in life is I have a divided heart. Now, I want you to understand what I mean by that. What I mean by that is as a person redeemed and forgiven and born again, By the Lord Jesus Christ, born of his spirit, yes, I want purity of life. Yes, I'm committed to the kingdom values. Yes, I strive every day to live out those values as God empowers me to do that. I want purity of life, but I also want some other things. There are other things in my life that draw me. And by nature, listen, by nature, apart from the grace of God at work in me, I have a deceitful and divided heart. Now, I've gotten it out there. I've made my confession. What about you? You see, the prophet Jeremiah summed it up perhaps perhaps in a more pithy way than anyone else when he said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, Beyond beyond cure, in other words, if you're trying to come up with some potion, some trick, some medicine, some process, some psychotherapy, some discipline regimen to change your wicked, divided heart, it ain't gonna happen. It is beyond cure, says the prophet. So what is Jesus talking about here? I mean, in light of everything the Bible says about the heart, I mean, it's so depressing. It, it, it's so sad. It, it's so twisted. How can he say, blessed are the pure in heart? What is this all about? I think what Jesus is asking for, and he uses the Greek word here, "katharos." that's the word for pure, and there's other words for pure, but this one has a particular meaning. It means that what you are on the outside is what you are on the inside. It means what you are in your public face is what you are in your private face. We have a word for that in our English language. It's called integrity. That's the word. It comes from the word same word we get integer from. It's a whole number. It's a whole person. It's not divided. It's not separated. It's not diluted or polluted. That's what this word means. So we've discussed briefly the dilemma of a divided heart, which we all grapple with, if we're honest, because we're on a journey. Even those who are born again, saved by the grace of God, we're on a journey, and we've still got that struggle going on. But now I want to talk about the drive for an undivided heart. Again, that word Jesus used is very interesting. It means something that is unmixed with other things. It's not been diluted or polluted. For instance, the word katharos was used of wheat, which had been, the wheat had been removed from all the chaff, all the unpure elements, and all that was left was pure wheat. This same word was often used of wine that had not been diluted with water. It is pure wine. God wants a pure heart in us. Paul used this same word when he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, one of his mentees. In the book we call 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, and he said, the goal, the goal of this command is love, watch this, which comes from a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. I think Paul there is saying, look, this pure heart is one of the goals of the Christian life, that by his amazing grace, as we grow in him, we would increasingly have a pure heart, where our motives and all of our actions are increasingly for the glory of God. But if that's ever going to become reality, wow, we've got to want that. And I'm going to use this word carefully, but I'm going to use it in the context of grace. We've got to work for that too. You see, the grace of God is not against effort. The grace of God is against earning The grace of God is not against effort. The grace of God is against earning. So you're not earning anything, but you are putting effort in. And if we want to grow in purity of heart, and that's why I'm using the word drive here, we've got to drive toward that. We've got to really have a passion and a single-mindedness in our pursuit of that goal. By the way, that's what I see in the Apostle Paul's life when he gets, gets real biographical there, autobiographical in Philippians chapter three. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that. This one thing I do, not these seven things I dabble at. Now, just one little side note here. Is Paul saying there that a Christian can't have hobbies? Is Paul is the Apostle Paul teaching there that, you know what, if you're a real Christian, if you're really committed, you can't have any outside interests, you can't have any avocations, you can't have, you can't watch any ball games on TV, you can't, you can't play a sport, you can't have anything else. It's got to be all about going to church, reading the Bible, and just sharing the gospel. I, I don't think he's saying that. I think that'd lead to some pretty dull people, to be honest. I think what he's saying is that in the busyness and realities of life and all the natural demands that are on our time, there is one, get this, one singular driving desire that keeps everything moving in an integrated whole in one direction. What is that? It's the prize for which God has called be heavenward. And earlier... He explained what that was. Earlier, he said in Philippians 1, excuse me, 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, we've been describing this blessed life. Here's our definition that we've been working with. We've said it is a profoundly satisfying life of flourishing regardless of our external circumstances. And that's precisely what I see Paul describing there in Philippians 3. Look, (laughs) I get beaten up a lot. When he wrote that very letter, he was in prison, chained to guards. I've had a lot of adversity in my life, folks, but I want you to know that because of Jesus, I can flourish in the midst of it all. I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to abound with plenty of food. It doesn't really matter. It's not about my outside circumstances. I can live a full life in Christ no matter what. Why? Because I'm single-minded in my focus. To me, it's all about pressing on Becoming all Jesus designed me to be, even though I know that's going to involve a lot of suffering. James gets in on this talk about the heart. In James 1, he makes a very interesting statement. He talks about the unstable woman or man, someone who's just kind of vacillating here today, gone tomorrow, up, down, you just can't really rely on them rely on them that much. He said, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So I don't know where you are in your journey today, but I will tell you this. If you're going to grow, I say this, I think, very much because it's the consistent teaching of Scripture. If you're going to grow, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus, if you're going to really press on into what he designed you to be and represent him well in this world, I know one thing's got to be true. You got to be moving toward an undivided heart. Where increasingly, it won't happen overnight, it won't happen with some spiritual pixie dust sprinkled on your head one day, It won't happen just through one prayer or one event. But increasingly, your priorities will be lined up so that you truly want on earth what is in heaven. You do. You can pray that prayer unhypocritically. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord, in my life. On earth. As it is in heaven. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus taught that, you know, you'll be given all these other things. Hey, don't sweat that. Other things are gonna fall in place. So I wonder, again, since we're all in this together, and I've already confessed my problem with a divided heart, I wonder how you're doing. Can you say with the psalmist in Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth, here it is, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Man, that's one of the goals of the Christian life. And and, and let me just tell you what I think I've observed from my own experience and what I've observed in the lives of so many others that I've been able to do this journey with through the years, Without an undivided heart, the secular will always edge out the sacred. Without an undivided heart, the trivial will always edge out the important. It will. It will. It's just the way it's going to happen. Without an undivided heart, the temporal will always edge out the eternal. And so that's what we drive for. Brothers and sisters, we need to be going after that undivided heart, pressing on toward the goal of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, in all of his fullness. So if if some of us seem a little maniacal to you at times, if occasionally those of you are maybe on the edge of faith, window shopping Christianity, if we look like maybe we've lost our mind every now and then, hey, it's just because we're so passionate about this. We just want to keep on going after what God wants us to be. I got an amazing note from one of the dear women in our Christian family recently, and Deb and I were blessed by this as we read this. She said, please be praying that I will just become the woman God wants me to be. I thought, wow, what a great, what a great, great desire. I'll just be the woman God wants me to be. Well, we've looked at the dilemma of a divided heart. We've looked briefly at this whole drive toward an undivided heart. I wanna finish today by talking about the disposition. And I use that word very intentionally because as we've been saying throughout the whole thing, God wants, every one of these beatitudes begins with blessed are, Blessed are. The emphasis is not on doing stuff. So the first question is, what does God want us to be? It's a disposition. It's a character that he's after. And then behavior will take care of itself, okay? That's how this works. Behavior. Don't worry about behavior. If we are what God wants us to be, our behavior will naturally flow out of this. And I think this is where this beatitude gets really exciting because this is the character, this is the goal, this is the product that I think God wants to produce in our lives. Let's look at it one more time. When he says in Matthew 5 blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, I, I really don't want us to miss what he means by that. I've entitled this message, A New Awareness of God, because that's what Jesus is really promising here when he says they will see God. As we face the dilemma of a divided heart, as we drive with passion toward an undivided heart, get this, God begins to build in us a disposition of a pure heart. And when that happens, we begin to have a new awareness of God in ways we never had before. Can I tell you when you know a person is really growing in in grace? Can I tell you how you can know that an individual, whoever they are, whatever their age, that they're really becoming more mature and more like Jesus, they have a fresh, new awareness of God. And there's all kinds of ways this can happen, but I just quickly want to mention three of these ways as we go down home stretch today. First, we begin to see God more in Scripture. In Scripture, you begin to see God more in Scripture. The Scriptures, as you grow, come alive like never before. I love Psalm 119, verse 18. It says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And I I see this over and over again in people who are really growing. They begin to see things in Scripture that they never saw before. Remember the old Rice Krispies commercial, Snap, Crackle, Pop? That's what happens to your Bible. You open the Scriptures up, and wow, when you are growing in purity of heart, when you're beginning to have a a greater awareness of God the scriptures snap, crackle, and pop with new insights. You go like, who put that? I've read this over and over again, and I never saw that before. That's when I know someone's really growing. His word comes alive, and it is living and active in our experience. And so again, don't get all depressed if this is not the way you feel right now. Don't say, well, I must not be a Christian yet because they don't snap, crackle, and pop for me right now. Don't, 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 don't get down on yourself. This is a progressive thing. This is something that you grow in. And again, I will say it, the people who are most filled with the righteousness of God, get this, they're most hungry for the righteousness of God. Because the more you get, the more you want. It's just boundless. It's endless. And it's like you can't get enough of the wonders of the word. And you want to ponder them and you want to meditate on them. The psalmist said, I meditate on your precepts. I'm not bad at night. You just want to think about God all day long. I never forget the testimony of William Wilberforce who was most used by God in the abolishment of the transatlantic slave trade all throughout the UK. And when he first came into a born-again relationship with Christ, he just wanted to be out. He didn't want to go do his job. He didn't want to attend all of his business affairs. He just wanted to lie outside on the grass and look up to heaven and ponder the wonders of God. That's what he really wanted to do. And oh, I'd love to camp out on this longer because there's so much more to say, but this is one of the ways that God begins to work in our heart. We begin to see God more in Scripture. Second, we begin to see God more in nature, in nature. Psalm 19 is one of my favorites, and it speaks to this situation. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In other words, this is clearly teaching that you see something, something of the nature of God in his creation. Something of God's attributes are clearly seen, the apostle says in Romans 1, in creation. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The psalmist is simply saying that every time we look, and what a great time of the year to do this, huh? Every time we look at the beauty of God's handiwork, we actually begin to perceive something about God himself. Now, I am not an artist, not a real artistic person in, in that sense, I, nor have I studied much of art history, but I've been in a lot of art museums, and I've heard a lot of you know, guides and experts talk about the nature of the great masterpieces, and I am told, I am told, some of you would certainly know better, but I'm told that you can learn a lot about an artist by looking at his or her works. I think that's probably true. People study the great, they'll study Vincent van Gogh. And they'll look at what are now these priceless masterpieces and, and they'll go, now this is how you can see what was going on in Van Gogh's life and what was happening in his own soul as he painted this. And he'll be able to talk to you about that. And when we look at the wonders of God's handiwork, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars and their courses above, guess what? We can, as the the hymn writer said, we can join with all nature in manifold witness to God's great faithfulness, mercy, and love. So we begin to perceive God more in nature. Now, that doesn't mean that you can know everything about God by looking at his creation. That's why people who say, well, I... I can worship God just as good on this golf course because it's so beautiful as I can in any church. Oh, I just love to go out and hike the beautiful hills and hollows and mountains because I feel closer to God there than I ever have anywhere else. Well, okay, good luck with that. That's really dis Oh, they may feel wonderful things, or I'm not denying that, but you can never learn all you need to know about God just by being out in nature. That's the problem with that thinking. You need special revelation, not just the general revelation that everyone has available to them through God's creation. So you can't know everything about God, but you can know something about the artist by enjoying his artwork. So we see something of God in and through the wonders of the natural world He made. Scripture, nature. Let me mention one third and final thing: as we God works on our heart, we begin to see God more in situations, in situations. Surely we all love and are drawn to this verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We love that. God God builds this disposition of a pure heart in you, and you begin to see God in situations that previously would have frightened the daylights out of you or confused you, or just disoriented you. But now you go, go, as you've grown in purity of heart, as you've gotten more and more of an undivided heart now, (laughs) you go, wow, I know God's working in this. Man, you know, I just sense God is up to something special here. I just know it. It doesn't mean all your anxiety's gone but it means that you learn to take your anxieties to God and you cast them on him and you leave them there and you learn to see beyond these troubling situations to the God who is your hope and you keep pressing on with single-minded purpose because you know he's working in the midst of all these situations for your good and his glory. So what used to throw you into a panic when you are a brand new Christian, now is hardly a blip on the radar screen of your life because this ain't your first rodeo. You've learned God's got this. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. He's brought me through hard times before. I know he's gonna bring me through again. And you just learn to see God at work in situations instead of just focusing on yourself. And here's the thing that is amazing. As people grow and grow and grow and walk with God through the years and grow in purity of heart, they even begin to see God working when they're going through the valley of the shadow of death. I had an amazing conversation with friends of ours last Monday over the phone. Uh, Fred and Mary Benedetto and I have their permission to share this. Fred and Mary have been a part of Grace, actively involved for many years. But some years ago, they moved to South Carolina. And Fred is right now in the midst of a heroic battle with cancer. And, you know, it's one of those situations where the doctors say that unless there's some sort of divine intervention, the days are numbered. They don't know if it's a matter of weeks, a matter of months, but they know that his body is riddled with cancer. And You know, I called to encourage Fred. But boy, did I get encouraged. Because you know what I heard? I heard a guy that I've been able to watch his journey for many, many years now. I had the privilege years ago to, to participate in, in the vow renewal, wedding renewal ceremony of Fred and Mary. I've seen Fred. I've heard his story. I've heard his testimony. I've had many meals with Fred and Mary, Deb and I. And I heard a man who's going, you know what, I'm not afraid. I'm ready, Pastor Rex. Ah, I am so excited about seeing folks who've gone before me. And even though I'm gonna miss people here, I am ready. And I know what I believe, and more importantly, I know whom I believe. Deb and I were just teared up, choked up as we left that call going, wow, wow, this is real. Wow, there comes a time when Christians really just need to live out what they say they believe. And Fred and Mary Benedetto are doing that right now. And you don't even see death anymore. You see the God who's victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And they shared about how the, Fred is a part of a golfing community there. It's just that loved golf as an avocation through the years, and, and there's all kinds of guys in this fellowship there, and Fred's testimony is inspiring them and moving them all a bit closer to Jesus, and Fred is just seeing God at work in this situation every step of the way. That's not just pious talk. That's the re- reality for the person who's pure in heart. They have a new awareness of God at work and situation. So let me, as we wrap up today, let me ask you this. How would you describe your heart? The psalmist cried out in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Is that your heart's cry? God specializes in heart surgery. But if you need a whole new heart, he's got that too. He can give you a brand new one. He said it through his man, Ezekiel, his prophet, said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'll take away that old, soiled, undivided, decrepit, wicked heart that's full of madness and evil. I'll give you a brand new one that's pure. Is that what you want? When God does that, we begin to see God more clearly in Scripture, in nature, and in the situations of our life. But catch this. The best part of all is that one day, one glorious day, and this is what Fred Benedetto is anticipating so eagerly, we're going to see him face to face. And it don't get no better. Than that, the pure in heart will see God. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of our Lord Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I pray that in days like these, the scriptures would snap, crackle, and pop for us with new insights we never saw before, That nature would brim over with revelation about who you are and give us insight into the attributes of our great God. And that even in the situations of life, even where we're going through the dark valleys, that we would see you at work all around in fresh ways. Oh, we want to be pure in heart. Thank you that your promise is real.